We're going to look at several passages. Matthew chapter 7 is our main chapter and verse that we'll be looking at. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Then we're going to look at St. John, chapter 7, verse 24. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 1. And Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1. Would you stand, please, as we pray for the Word of God? Lord, you have blessed us, and we thank you for giving us of your Spirit. We honor you today for being the Savior of our soul, the Lord who reigns supreme, our God, our King. Today we pray that as we begin this new year, that you will take us places that we never thought possible in you. Pray that you will lead us, guide us, direct us. May we go deeper in the Lord. The trials that may come our way, we pray that you will prepare us for them. Help us today to remember that when we are in Christ, that you are the one that tempers everything that comes our way, and you enable us to go through. So we pray that you will be with us and that you will bless. Now, bless today as we preach the word, open our, our hearts and our, our ears, our minds. May we, Lord, put feet to what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse number 1. I'll be reading from the NIV. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust? in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Jesus is cold. I'm just reading what's in the Word. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. St. John chapter 7, verse 24. St. John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. First John, that's the epistle. First John, 
right past the book of Peter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. Right after Corinthians, you'll come to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Sermon on the Mount, Judging Others, is what this is entitled. This is part 21 of our series. Judging Others. The passage in Matthew 7-1 has been a passage that the world and the church has used to suggest that one is never to judge. The idea of judging has been so wrongly applied that whenever the word is used, thoughts of that which is evil or wrong come to mind. Judging must involve sensitivity and an evaluation of one's motives. Simply saying that a person is never to judge as a teaching of the Bible is completely erroneous. We need to understand that the ultimate judge is God. And we should always remember this. As we continue with this sermon, we will take a look at the first six verses of Matthew. And I'm going to go into, as we go through, some things will be technical. But I want to have you follow me as we go through this. Point number one, if you're writing points down, is judge and being judged. Judge and being judged. Judgment is one of the things that we really fear. When something is said to us that we perceive as a judgment, there is a defensiveness that we often express. We oftentimes will say to the person, don't judge me. When a person even makes an observation, you're judging me, don't judge me. When a person calls something into question, we kind of cringe and we kind of bristle because we don't want anyone to say something bad about us as we think they're going to say, or may be in fact saying. On the face value of what Jesus said, do not judge, we can see why most people use this statement, because it clearly is said by Jesus, do not judge. And if we just take that verse as it is, one would say, you are not to judge. But we have seen in other other passages that Jesus says make right judgment. And in fact, even in the first six verses, Jesus moves into the idea and the fact that judging is 
to be done, or can be, but in the right way. The first thing that we note is that Jesus, in Jesus' words, do not judge. Now this statement was made to his disciples, because remember, Jesus' sermon on the mount is to those that are on the mount, but he is teaching his disciples. The word disciple is one who is a learner. It, it, it deals with the idea of, in the Greek, of multiplying, mathematicus. It deals with the idea that when one is a disciple, one is to multiply. So when we think about what Jesus is saying, go out and make other disciples, you are to multiply. The way that you multiply is by sharing the word of God. But Jesus is teaching his disciples, and those that are there are listening, and God is, and, and, and as Jesus is teaching, he's saying some very difficult things for the people to hear. But when he says, do not judge, that is an imperative, an imperative, an imperative statement. It is a statement that is a command. You see, when Jesus gives a command, it is not for you to decide if you're going to obey it or not. If Jesus tells you to do something, your, your, your response should be, Lord, when do you want it done? Rather than, I ain't doing that. Why are you asking me, Lord? There's other people that can do that. But the Lord says, do not judge. When Jesus gives this imperative, it is a strong statement that requires an action on our part, whether or not we want to do it. Judgment must always involve character. Judgment must always involve character. You see, there's a lot of things that a person may say, but their character speaks volumes. If you know a person, you may hear the words, but if you know that person, you may go, hmm, I know what they really are like. And you are evaluating their character. So when you are judging, your character is involved. We must always have the view and idea that God is the ultimate judge. Do not judge or you will be judged. Do not judge, or you will be judged. In Matthew 7, 1, the, the part B of that verse, you see, when verses are broken down in the Bible, you may hear a person say part A of the verse, part B of the verse, or part C. So if a person says part A or part B, what are they saying? When there is a comma or a punctuation, that first part is under whatever the letter or number it is. So in part B of the second half of that verse, it is in the passive voice in the Greek. You see, when the Bible was being written by many of the Jewish scribes, they didn't like or want to use God's name. So when the Bible says, do not judge or you too will be judged, it is understood that when the Lord is talking to them, he is saying to the people, if you judge... You need to know that on the other side of when it says, or you will be judged, the people knew that it was God who was going to judge them, not somebody else. So when you read that verse, it's not talking about 
do not judge or you're going to be judged by your peers. No. They understood that they meant God is going to be the judge. But it's used in the pastors because God's name was so holy, they didn't even want to write the name of God down. They didn't even want to say God's name out loud. And so oftentimes when you look at Scripture, oftentimes the passive voice is used. So those that Jesus is talking to, they know that on the other side they are referencing, that verse is referencing God. God is the agent of part B of that verse. We need to understand and contend that when God judges, he always judges rightly. You see, you, you don't ever have to worry about God getting it wrong. You see, when a person comes to you and you say, don't judge me, you say, you don't really know me, you, you judging me, that's wrong. You got the wrong motive. You don't know who I really am. But when God judges you, he, he ain't made no mistake. When he reads your motives, he has read them correctly. Just because you didn't say anything don't mean that God didn't understand what you were really saying. See, your words don't always match what's happening on the inside. When something is going on with a person you really know, they may be saying a word, but you're thinking, what's really going on? Or you come back with a question, are you really okay? Because that first response that you get, you know that something is not quite right. There's a, dis- there's a disconnect between what they're saying and what you know of that person on the inside. So you ask, ah, are you really okay? You see, Jesus makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes when it comes to judging. You see, one day we need to always understand that one day we will all stand before the Almighty God to give account for what we've done in this body. So when we judge, we need to always keep in mind that we are going to be judged. Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, verse 2 is tied into verse 12 that we didn't read of Matthew 7, 12, which is known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule concept was not established right here with Jesus. was saying many cultures before had a golden rule principle. Many cultures had the golden rule in the sense of how one treats another person. You see, it speaks of motivation. You see, when the Bible is talking here about judging, you need to understand that the Bible, what Jesus is talking about, is that you are not to judge with a criticizing spirit. Not that you are not to judge, but your attitude must be right. Now, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. This, this statement comes from um, um, the idea of what was a grain contract. A grain contract. The measure that you use will be measured to you. You see, 
when a person was going to buy grain, the purchaser, you have the person who is the seller and you have the purchaser. And the person who is going to purchase had a measure that they would use to determine the amount of money that it was going to cost or that they would give. But guess what? So when it says the measure that you use, it will be measured with you to you, it is talking about the measurement was used by the purchaser for the delivery as well as for the payment. So the purchaser used the same measure to determine what the delivery amount was as well as what he was going to pay. In other words, to make sure the measurements were the same. You see, somebody may bring you something, and you look at, that, that, that ain't right. Oh, yes, it is. Give me my money. I'm not paying you for that. That ain't what I'm paying for. Yes, it is. When I left the house, that's what it was. Uh-uh. The purchaser's scale or measure was used so that he could measure what was coming from the other person that brought it as well as what he was going to give. So the measure, the measure, it is the idea of one is to be merciful. When you think about the measure, when we think about God, you want to make sure that God is judging you with mercy. You want to make sure that mercy is involved in all that you do. This is a matter of how we look at it. Because if you don't show mercy, when it comes time for you to be judged, no mercy will be shown to you. Have you ever thought and seen where the, the idea that people say we have that what comes, what goes around comes around? You know, we have different things that we, we have that kind of resemble, that talks about kind of that golden rule. It is an idea, even people that don't know God out in the world, they, they, they understand the principle. Oh, he's going to get his. She's going to get hers. It's, it's only a matter of time. Or oh, when something happens, see, I told you. Something happened, your mind go back. I, you know, so, then I, it may be. <laughs> so if you are one to pass out a lot of judgment without showing mercy or compassion, then be sure the same measure will be used for you as well. I, I, l- let me say this as well. When we were talking, I was thanking you for your giving. Even when we look at the measurement of our giving, do you not know that when we talk about, even in Malachi, when the Lord says, test me, when we're looking at that Old Testament, that principle, there's no, there's no passages in the Bible where it talks about really testing God, trying God. But do you not know what God did? It's something very interesting. He took the thing that is most precious to us, money, for many people, shouldn't, but that is most sensitive And then he says, try me in giving the tithes and offerings. I want you to test me in this area. The very thing that we struggle with, the very thing that people go out trying to earn and and trying to hold on to, that sometimes seems to just slip through our fingers, God says, try me in this right here, and then see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. But in other passages, the Bible says, Don't put God to a foolish test. But in this matter here, he says, test me and look and see what I'll do. The area that we oftentimes struggle with, God puts a spotlight on it and says, trust me with this. 
give this to me. Let me use it. Let me, let me help you here. Because it is the very thing that is close to our hearts. There is a man in the New Testament came to the Lord, wanted to know what he could have or do to inherit eternal life. And the Lord gave it. And then the Lord says, now, go sell everything you have and follow me. And the Bible says that man went away sad. Not because the issue with money was wrong, because his heart was there. That was his life. That was his God. He couldn't give it up to follow the Lord. The very thing that we hold on too much to, sometimes for some people it's their children. They won't release their children to God. They say, Lord, I don't know what else to do. I've done all that I could here. What is the most precious to us we have to be willing to give to God? That wasn't in my notes today, but I, it kind of helped me to go that way. Pass that on to you. The idea in verse number two deals with needing to obtain mercy from God. And I want someone quickly to find James chapter 2, verse 13. Whoever finds it, just read it, and we're going to keep going. James chapter 2, verse 13, who has it? You Bible scholars? It's on the board. Okay, nobody has it. All right. For judgment without mercy to him that hath showed no mercy, mercy glorifieth against judgment. I want a different version, actually. Who has a different version? For judgment will be merciless. Mercy triumphs. If you are not merciful in your judgment, when it comes time for you to be judged, there will be no mercy shown. Verse number three. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Verses three through five of Matthew 7 addresses the problem of a person unwilling to seek correction. You see, even in this passage of 7, 1 through 6, really is dealing with the person who is unwilling to take an inward look at themselves. They're not willing to look on the inside. Let's continue. There's a word in the Greek called blepo. I don't know if Brother Ronnie remember that from the 70s, 80s when we took Greek for a little bit. I forgot all the Greek. <laughs> but there's a word called blepo. It means to see. It means I see. In verse number 3, Jesus says, what, Why do you look at the speck? of sawdust in your brother's eye. The word is blepo. Why do you see? Just as an observation, it just means the verb to see. Today, when we consider the idea of this scene, we, we need to look at this in the context of what does it mean to look at this speck in relationship some Bible says the beam or the board or the plank that is in your own eye. 
And so when we look at this here, Jesus himself says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Another translation uses the word mote or speck and beam. The idea of this speck and this beam, one needs to understand it comes from the same material. You see, there is the log that is in, let's just say, our eye. So the person that's trying to correct another person has a big log. Now, you can't get a log in your eye, but the point is, there's a log in your eye. And here you are trying to find a speck, trying to see a speck in somebody's eye. And now get this. The material of the log and the sawdust or the splinter. See, the splinter comes from the log. Same material. It's not two different pieces. It comes out of that. And it's something that's very hard to detect. And so Jesus uses this analogy, this big analogy that says, look at you. Here you are trying to see something that is hardly able to be seen in somebody else, and you got a big beam that you can't even see out of. You can't even see past. And there you are trying to pick a speck. Now get this. The idea of the speck is almost like a piece of sawdust that has fallen into somebody's coffee. And it is a little foreign object, a little piece that has fallen in. And, 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 and there you are in that trying to see. Look at, look at that. There's that speck in that coffee. Look at that. Look at you. Almost un- unnoticed. And so Jesus calls attention to this board, this analogy that says that you've got a board. Now, what's the, what's the point? It is saying that compared to what God sees and our sin that cries out before God, here you are looking at another person and trying to judge them. When God stands, you stand before God, your sins are blaring out at you, against you. Your sins, when you're in the presence of God, here he is, the great and merciful God, where you just have blown it, and your whole life is full of sin. And here you are trying to find a speck, trying to get a magnifying glass, trying to look and find that little speck in somebody else. And you can't see past the log that is in your own eye. So when the Bible says, see, it is helping us to to determine and to see that we've got to be careful that we're not trying to see another person's fault before we deal with our own problem. And that when we do do it, it's because we have taken inventory and we are approaching that matter with mercy. person that's doing the judging with the wrong spirit is a person that has the log in their eye. Verse number four. 
Now, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You see, there's another Greek word, katanoeo, which means to ponder. When you look at verse 4, here you are pondering, trying to find the speck. You see, you first, you see, okay, there's a speck. Then you consider it. The Bible says, Jesus says in 4, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a, there's a plank? Here you are trying to give special attention attention to this speck. Here you are pondering and considering it. That's the second point of that. Then there's a third Greek word that still deals with blepo that's called dia. Dia blepo. D-I-A. D-E-B-L-E-P-O. Blepo means to see as I mentioned. You see, when we consider diablepo, it is to, uh, to look at something uh, with intensity. Uh, it is to pay special attention to. So one gives more attention to something. So blepo is to see, but then one now gives their more full attention to this matter. So when we are considering what we are doing as we look at another person, we have to always be in mind as we, as we consider another person, we always have to remember the spotlight always has to be reversed and turned back towards us. Always must be turned towards us. Verse number five. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First remove. And that's where we get the word dia. Lepo to means to see thoroughly through. I see thoroughly through. You see, here's something that I need to remind you of. The Bible talks about mercy triumphing, triumphing over that which is not merciful. If you are a person that's merciful, you need to understand that mercy will be shown to you. You see, it really makes no difference if a person has seen you being being merciful. God sees you being merciful. God will cause other people to be merciful to you when you when you've been merciful to another person. God will cause sometimes things to just work out for you. You see, it takes something to be merciful. Because you always have to remember that I stand in the, in the area and need of being forgiven. I stand in this area of having my sins exposed. I stand here knowing that God is going to judge me, so I want to make sure that I'm merciful. And if we have people that we say, I never forgive that person. I never forget what they've done to me. One needs to take a step back and say, God, I have a real hard time forgiving this person. I need your help. See, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody. 
But when you say what you're not going to do and you don't make yourself available to be forgiven and for allow, to allow God to have his way, what you do, you open yourself up to the enemy. And when the enemy has control of your life, he'll just sit there and say, yeah, you ain't got to forgive that person. Yeah, they, they, they are right. They're walking down the street. Look at them. Just look at them. There you are looking at them and, and, and growling and snarling. Mm. They walk by. Oh, hi, oh, how you doing? <laughs> and you turn around. We need to stand in a place that we understand, God, I need to be forgiven much. And I need your help to get over this situation. Because right now, Lord, I am struggling in this matter. And if you don't do something, I'm not going to make it. But if you intervene, Lord, I know I can make it. Because your grace is sufficient for me. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out. The hypocrite, while often referring to the religious leader, is referring to the person who judges hypocritically. You see, oftentimes when you hear the word hypocrite, we think of the religious leaders. No, but in this passage, it is the person who is judging hypocritically, who will not turn the spotlight back on him or herself. First, remember that the, the spotlight is never taken off of you. You start with evaluating yourself, and you need to be merciful. You always start with yourself. When you remove the plank that really has been kept, has kept you from seeing, then you may be able to see clear enough to help your brother. See, the Lord is saying that don't judge wrongly. He says, look at what he's saying. Remove the plank, then you'll be able to see the speck that is in another person. Once you have taken proper inventory of yourself, Dealt with the sin or whatever it is in your life that you can help your brother or sister. What's the idea that you can help and restore and deal with whatever needs to happen? You see, when you think about judging, judging is all throughout the Bible. We make judgments every day. If you don't make certain judgments every day, you will swallow every winning doctrine that comes along. Every type of teaching. Well, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. We've said that before. There's one God, the same God, the God of nature, the God of every. No, he created nature. He created this universe. The universe is not to be worshipped. And you got people saying that, oh, we serve the same God. No. I serve the king of glory. I serve the almighty God. I don't serve dirt. I'm not bowing down to a piece of linen cloth. Not bowing down to some water somebody sent me in the mail. Telling me to take this water and sprinkle it on me. No. I don't know where that water came from. And I hope it's water. Stop swallowing everything people give. You ain't to judge everybody. We all know. You better start judging some things. People got some crazy ideas today. All kind of things that contradict the Bible. A Christian judging rightly is what helps the body of Christ. You make a right judgment, the body of Christ is helped because you made a right judgment. 
Somebody come around with some crazy doctrine, then you go, okay, I'm going with you. Somebody over here comes, okay, I'm going with you. Here you go, being torn back and forth. You're going back and forth to somebody because they keep telling you something. Put a halt to some things that you hear. What happened to my thing? There it is. Some people are just, are so busy trying to make friends and they'll accept anything a person says. Start putting a limit on what you allow people to say in your life. In fact, that comes to where we are in chapter verse 6, and we'll soon be out of here. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Verse 6, it's said to be what we call a chiasmus or a chiastic statement. C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C or C-H-I-A-S-M-U-S, a chiasmus. What is a chiastic statement? Come on, Wednesday, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you now. When you look at the Bible, the Bible is, is written, and oftentimes it, it's, it, there's a, what's called a parallel statement. You see, when the Bible wants to emphasize something, it will repeat something that it says. In fact, you will see Jesus oftentimes says, truly, truly, I say unto you, or verily, verily, I say unto you. Samuel, Samuel, Saul. In, in other words, he'll say that and, and makes a statement. So, and so for emphasis, because there's, there wasn't punctuations often there, so people would say things re- in a repeated way or they would say it in a different way, again, to get the emphasis through or to make sure you say it or you understood it. In fact, when you look at the first six verses, in fact, they build on each other and then go back and then elaborate on what was just said back in verse 1, 3 through 5, goes back and addresses verse 1 again. So when you look at a chiastic statement, it deals with what's called a parallel statement. A parallel statement is, in, in Scripture, a statement that is said one way and then it is repeated again, maybe a little bit differently. But a chiastic statement is a parallel statement that is then reversed. So it's a statement that's said and the order is then reversed. So, when we look at verse number 6, so let me point it out first and then explain this passage. This, do not give dogs what is sacred. We would say, let's call that A. Let's see, A, B, B, A. Let's just say A. Do not give dogs what is sacred, A. Do not throw your pearls to pigs, B. If you do, they may trample them under the feet, B, and then turn and tear you to pieces, A. So first part, do not give dogs what is sacred, is tied into the last part, and then turn and tear you to pieces. That's a chiastic statement. And so what is it saying? Because if you look at it, you would think it's the pig that's also trampling and tearing and leave the dog out. See, in the Old Testament, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, 
the two animals that were really despised were dogs and pigs. This is not talking about a little puppy. These were scavenger dogs, wild dogs. And so when even today when somebody say that person, if I first say that person is nothing but a dog, you know what I'm talking about. Ain't no one in, that's not no endearing term to you. That would be fighting words. I say that's a person a dog. What you talking? You calling me a dog? What's up, dog? You know. <laughs> Today we use it as an endearing term. What's up, dog? What's up, my dog? You know, like a. But no. It was a scavenger, and so. When the Bible is talking about this, it takes two animals that were really despised, and even in the law, the Jewish people couldn't eat. The pig, no, the dog, that was forbidden food because they were dirty. I don't care how much you will wash a pig, it's going to go right back and wallow in the mud. So in this verse here, after the Lord says it, it almost seems to be out of context. Like verse 6, where does this verse come from after Jesus is saying this? Do not give dogs what is sacred, or some Bible says what is holy. It is the idea when we think about this, of taking the offering that God told his children to bring to him and present on the altar, that which was sacred and God said it's set apart and it had to be perfect, it had to be unblemished, and the Lord said that this is the way it is to be brought to me. Only the priest could eat that which was sacred. It was not for just anybody. It was holy. And so Jesus says, you wouldn't take down that which is holy and give it to scavenger dogs, would you? Then he says, you wouldn't take that which is precious. Your jewels, that, those are pearls. It didn't just say what type, but those that which is very precious. Oh, you prize and then give it to swine, pigs. They don't value it because they'll turn. Now, the idea is that when you take that which is precious and holy, and there is not the person to really appreciate what you are giving, the Bible says don't keep giving it to the person. Don't keep trying to force feed somebody who don't want to have it. Put a hawk to it. You'll find Jesus, when he was about to die, standing for Herod, before Herod. And Herod's all happy. Oh, here's Jesus. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I can see, I'm going to see some miracles. Jesus didn't even answer him. Didn't even answer him. Didn't take that which is precious, which is holy, and give it to that which is vile. That which is precious, the jewels, and they, 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 they ain't going to enjoy that. They, they're going to trample that. So when you think about giving something to dogs, even though you gave it to a wild dog, they'll turn and attack you. Now, let me give you another point in this as we conclude. There's even the idea that there are wild pigs, we call them wild boar, that have the tusks. 
And there was a food that resembled little pearls. And when the person may have been throwing them out, just kind of trying to throw this pearl out to trick them, these pigs would come out to eat them, and they realized they'd been tricked. They turned on the person and used their tusks and tear them to pieces. There are times when you need to just stop trying to give certain people God's word because all they're going to do is turn on you and try to pick you to pieces. Sometimes it comes to, it ain't always trying to always convince someone who don't want to hear God's word. Well, Paul and Peter, Jesus, come on, it's time to go. Peter, come on, Paul, let's go to another place. I, in fact, when Jesus sent out some, he dust, just wiped the dust from your feet. Shake the dust off against them and go on to the next place. Here we are always trying to make somebody who don't want to believe, believe. You can't always take that which is precious and holy and keep giving it to those who don't want it. 2016, we need to look at and evaluate what do we really want? Are we going to be for God or are we going to be about the mediocre? That which really don't matter. Worrying about the opinions of other people, that really don't matter. Are we going to hold to God's truth, the preciousness of God's word, and value it? It is priceless. Come the time when people who won't hear say, that's all, fine. I'm not going to keep throwing it out. Everyone in the world don't want to hear God's word. In fact, everyone in the church don't want to hear God's word. You have been entrusted with a precious gift. And you need to be sure that you value what God has given I am convinced that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I am convinced that people's views and ideas, as good-sounding as they may be, don't line up with Scripture. If we're going to evaluate in 2016 our lives, we better turn the word of God and face it directly at us and let it shine in our lives. And says, God, show me what I need to do to clean up so that I can be effective in helping somebody else this year. Help me to value your word. Help me to value what you are doing so that I can rightly judge others. Help me not to keep throwing the pearls of God's word to those who simply wanted to shred it and find fault in everything about God. So we need to have wisdom. 
not your job to convict. It's the Holy Spirit. There's time when you just got to say it. I back off. God has to do it. Done my part. Done all that I could do that God's called me to do. Stand to your feet. If you judge, make a right judgment. Judgment belongs to the body of Christ. But it always involves a spotlight being shined back in our lives and back on us. This year, as we look at doing God's will, as we look at following and taking the word of God, we need to make sure we're doing everything that we can. Now, let me say this before I pray. Something just came to mind. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, something very important happened. The Bible says that he went back down the mount. You can't stay up on the mountain. He left and went back down the mount. There's a place and a time when he preached, but he left and went back down, and the people that were there were following him. And said, there's nobody that speaks. Our religious, they don't talk and teach like him. He teaches with authority. Something about that Jesus. But Jesus got to be real in your life. Or to just become another good message that one hears and does nothing about. Today, Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that the word of God shines in our lives. The spotlight focuses on us so that we can look at removing the beam in our eyes so that we can see the speck in others to be able to help. We pray that we will, Lord, judge mercifully, graciously, Judge with the view and the idea that God is the ultimate judge. One day we will stand before the Almighty. And God, we want to have mercy applied <laughs> to our lives. We thank you right now. We thank you that you've already forgiven those who belong to you. That our sins are covered. We pray that we will walk this way. We will walk this life, this new life, this new way in Christ, the way of holiness. We'll walk it, Lord, without compromise. We'll worship you and give you all the glory, all the praise. Take us, Lord, to places that we never thought we would ever go in Christ. We love you today. We bless you today. We glory in you today, and we magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen.